Hello and a very welcome back to the Minter Dialogue and a happy new year for 2024. This is episode 550. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a most proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, go and visit their site, evergreenpodcast.com. So this week's interview is with Jeremiah Aoyang. Jeremiah is a renowned industry analyst based in Silicon Valley who has a beat on emerging tech. He's a general partner at the venture capital outfit, Blitzscaling Ventures, and a sought after speaker. In this conversation with Jeremiah, we discuss the explosion of AI, how he views and evaluates AI startups, especially from a VC standpoint, to what extent ethics and transparency are used or necessary in these AI-infused initiatives, the humanization of AI, the rise of therapeutic AI, and a whole lot more. It's a fascinating update on where AI is going, including some hot new apps you need to check out. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And if you have a moment, I urge you to go over and drop in a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe in any event to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Jeremiah Aoyang, so great to have you on my show. Freaking A, forever have I wanted this. You and I have paths have crossed uh, many times over the years. I've lost touch, except I see you in the press all the time. You are an icon, a beacon of what's going on in AI. Great to have you on my show. In your own words, Jeremiah, who are you? Hey, Mentor. I love digital technology trends. My role changes from time to time, but I have a career mission. I help companies connect to their customers using new technologies. And that's really been my theme. Um, now I'm a venture capitalist. I run an AI fund investing in startups. You must have uh, a lot of options to be investing in. It, it, this market has just exploded in this 2023 period. Um, when I started tracking the market, there's a website called there's an AI for that.com. Of course, there was 3000 projects. And today um, there are 10,000 projects at the end of 2023. How to sort through them and figure out which ones, which ones, which, I mean, I suppose you, you, you're looking mostly for gains in finance, but do you have other things you're looking for in terms of moving the dial? So most of these companies are pre-revenue. So finance is not always the way you measure, but you look at growth rates, adoption rates, um, what types of partnerships they have, uh, mentions in the press, traction. But we also look at their business models to see if they have a business model that will grow very fast. I want to get into that a little bit later, but Jeremiah, just first, a little bit more personal. I know... One of the things that uh, marked me in, in my knowledge of you and the, the journey that you've been on is you're uh, embarking on CrossFit and, and being ah, a, a total thanks. freak of fitness. Uh, tell us how that's marked you and, and why it's so important in your life. Okay. Thank you for asking. You know, that's one of the things that is joked about never to talk to anybody about CrossFit because they won't shut up about it. So just want to warn you, you just pull the plug. Okay. <laughs> good, good, good. So I, 
when I turned middle age, which is 40 for most people several years ago, um, I was out of shape because I've been starting companies. I couldn't run a mile. I was I had mild health problems. I was overweight and I couldn't even do a pull up or run or run. And so I decided to fix all that. And several years later, I'm hitting all the marks, fixed all those mental and health issues that might have been plaguing me that I could. And now I'm quite fit uh, and go to fitness, CrossFit at 5 a.m. three to four times a week. I went this morning at 5 a.m. Uh, we did deadlifts and I and I hit a personal record, which means you you know achieve something. So I'm getting stronger, even though I'm approaching half a century. I'm getting stronger. And it helps me with having mental fortitude because you do something every day that's challenging and you fail every almost every day that you try this. And you're with people who are very positive. If you do this thing, this very positive thing. Now, all of this, I train for obstacle course racing. So there's a there's an organization called Spartan Races, where you run in the mountains and the hills, and you climb over walls, and you carry heavy things, and you throw spears, and you climb up ropes, and you swim and through you ice water. through mud. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right? that's the that's the benefit. That's the fun part to be close oh. to nature. Listen, we are so detached, detached, unattached from nature. Uh, we're about to talk about AI. So, what's the opposite of Silicon Valley, where I live, and tech, and AI, and social media? It's mud. rolling in the mud. Yeah, mud, mud, mud. That's Earth. That's the mother. So, there's something purifying and rejuvenating about pushing yourself when you're close to Earth. One of the books that uh, really uh, made an impression on me, and, and I think like you, I've also been looking at AI in, in a therapeutic sense, uh, but is a book by Johan Hari, and it's called Lost Connections. And he, you know, we're all so connected, but yet so detached, as you said. And, and Johan talks about these seven ways to reconnect. And of course, one of them is putting your hands in the dirt and getting reconnected with nature something we should all do a lot more of. So thank you for sharing that. I, I think it is something that we all ought to be thinking about as much as we're about to, you know, promote and talk about the greatness and amazing things and, and also dangers of AI, but we should also remain humanly connected and, and uh, connected back into earth. Well said. So one of the things that, people are most, I mean, there's basically, unless you're living under some kind of ridiculous stone, no one's uh, now not got the plot that AI is a big thing. It's it become, thanks to OpenAI and all and the LLMs, a, a, a topic amongst 70, 80-year-olds. I, I mean, I have, I've been to dinner parties with octogenarians who are all excited talking about it. So everybody knows wow. about it, I would say, but I don't know if they know it correctly. But for you who are in it, I get the feeling that it's become so big, it's hard to really actually stay abreast of it. I wouldn't say it's becoming so big. It's just moving so fast. I think that is the, the thing. Like I, We haven't seen a market move this quickly with that amount of startups growth and grow and birth so quickly. So I've been in Silicon Valley for 27 years. And so I was here as an intern uh, in the dot com era, I was in dot com, web two, sharing economy, web three, and now AI. So five trends, and I've never seen anything move this quick. You know, for example, um, we already mentioned the ten thousand startups, which has tripled since March. I mean, that's incredible. Every single large tech company, all of them are now AI companies and positioning as such. 
from Salesforce to SAP to to all, all of them to Google, um, up and down 101, the main thoroughfare in Silicon Valley, the, the freeway highway, um, one third of the billboards per my count are about AI. That's quite unusual. And in San Francisco, which has its fair share of problems um, of you know crime and then there's vacancies in commercial real estate, there's 100 AI events per month. Mentor, that's three AI events per day. And on Saturday, that's two. And Sunday, that's two. In person, 100 AI events per month. That's never happened at that level, that rate. So something is happening, and it's very different, uh, let alone the adoption rates. OpenAI, which the, the version that we know, uh, GPT, birthed November 30th, 2022. And a year later, 100 million users adopted it. That's perhaps the fastest growth, uh, growth of any app that we've ever seen. Um, let's put threads aside because it was just an outshoot of uh, Instagram. It's not quite a fair comparison. Indeed. So this is something big. My point was actually how AI is now being used everywhere. Yeah. So that's, that's why it's sort of wide. It's, you know, if you want to stay up to date with AI in, let's say, marketing, that's one thing. But as AI in medicine, there's AI in robotics or factory management. There's so the the the, the level of deployment is is hard to keep up with. There's the speed on one end, but there's the breadth of utilization now that see makes it so hard and it's almost everywhere. And I don't think it's been fully integrated everywhere yet, but it's starting to integrate. Yeah, I mean, it's just we're at the, we're at the first year of generative AI at the, from mainstream adoption. I think there's a lot more to come. Uh, we'll know it when it's really here, when we are all at inbox zero with our emails. <laughs> and I don't think that's far off, Mentor. I, I think that's like a very common use case. We'll see that Google has to lead and Yahoo has to lead. And Outlook from Microsoft has already said they're going to do that uh, because the training data is already there. It's already a known problem. People are willing to pay for these things. So inbox zero because AI reading, sorting, um, summarizing emails, and then starting to reply on our behalf. I think that's just 24 months away or less. So I, I want to uh, push into that one second because I remember uh, a, a former colleague of mine, the number two in my division, and um, he would say, well, I, I have inbox zero every Friday night. And I was like, really? He says, yeah, I just uh, do a select all and delete. And if they're important, they'll come back and do it again. They'll write to me again next week. But until then, it's zero. I don't need them. And I was like, well, that is one kooky way of doing things. And then when I listen to you in this manner where the AI is doing it for you, it reminds me of people who outsource their personal branding. You don't know what they're saying about you anymore. You, 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 how do you stay on top of the content? You know, if you, if an email comes in saying decision make, uh, you, and it's an easy decision, or should I buy 10 pencils? Okay, well, you can let the AI do, I should buy 10 pencils, but then you can't be cognitively aware of everything that the AI is doing for you. So, how does that get worked out? Well, we're not able to be cognitively aware of all of those emails that are already in our inbox, hence your friend <laughs> deleting everything. Uh, I mean, Minter, how many unwritten emails do you have across all your inboxes right now? Yeah, plenty. Yeah. Like, um, like, I, I, I tend to... I, I, I get... 
Well, in my, with, with Gmail doing that great filtering and moving into social promotion and so on uh-huh. and, and the spam, I'm probably down to 30 on an average in my, in my personal inbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but across all inboxes, right? It's just not even possible. We sign up for all this stuff. So how do you know we're not missing something important? For example, you and I were in an email conversation last week and I didn't see your email because you sent it to an inbox, which I don't use normally. Yeah. So that's already a disconnect. It should already flag that you are high high profile and high and high importance, which you are. Um, you. So okay. So I think the problem said is very clear. Um, so here's the interesting thing about email. Um, there's already a tremendous amount of data, 20 years of data of our historical data and behavior. I mean, it knows how we responded, who did we respond to, which email did we open quickly, which one did we ignore, which one we did we open four times and then finally respond. How did we respond? Um, it's possible, though, that if there's a decision to be made, the the AI agent, the email agent, should flag a summary and says, there's three decisions to be made today. Here they are. They're prioritized for you to make your decision. So you can get back to your CrossFit workout. <laughs> and and presumably, much like Pega, for example, the, the AI would further say, listen, these are three options you can use for the decision-making with benefits yes, yes, yes. attached to it and such and such. So you have that final agency. Oh, I'm still doing something before my CrossFit. Um, Jeremiah, when you are evaluating the VC, just to go back to that, sure. you've got a huge number of choices and uh, obviously many of them aren't doing money, but what are the, what are the criteria by which you really jump in on them. For example, we used to say in the old days, well, I don't care about the idea. I just, I invest in people. Or is it going to be, uh, you know, mostly about the business model, you say? How about their ethics? What are the things that you flag as, as no-goes? And what are the things that say, oh gosh, I'm all in? Gotcha. So I have been an angel investor for six years, but I have not been a formal general partner at a VC firm until recently. So that's a new appointment that I've that I have stepped into. Uh, so I've I have joined Blitzscaling Ventures. Now Blitzscaling is based upon a book that perhaps you've heard of by Reed Hoffman and Chris Ye. And uh, this is a, a well-known firm and book. So Chris is the founding partner and my friend for 20 years. And I served on his board of a company he sold. And coincidentally, I'm an LP, which means an investor in the fund, in the first fund. So I have a long relationship with Blitzscaling Ventures and Chris. And Reed Hoffman, yes, that Reed Hoffman, PayPal, LinkedIn, Board of Directors, Microsoft, OpenAI, and now Inflection AI, he is one of the advisors and LPs. And so our investment thesis, to answer your question, is based upon the book, which is based off a Stanford class, which they interviewed the leaders from Web1 dot com, uh, web two and sharing economy to find out what worked. So we're looking for those types of criteria. For example, we're looking for, are they in a market where there could be a winner that takes most, where it's a rapid growth market Two, we're looking for companies that have network effects, whereas every user that participates adds value for other users. Um, for, and number three, does it have viral effects? In Silicon Valley, the parlance is uh, product-led growth. And then the fourth one is a distribution strategy. Uh, for example, OpenAI has Microsoft to help them spread their product throughout their 365 suite. Now, to the excellent point that you brought up, evaluating the founder is really important. And so we have things we look for. 
<clears throat> no formal scoring for that one. We do have quantitative scoring for the other ones I just mentioned. But for the founder, we're observing their behaviors to see, can they learn? Are they an infinite learner? Can they pivot? Do they change? What's their pedigree? Um, what have they done in the past? Things like that. What about the ethical framework? Um, with the AI, we talk. there's a lot of talk around ethics. It, it strikes me as maybe something that's more likely to be imposed on a large company than a startup. I mean, I, I, you know, most startups are still sort of behind the eight ball when it comes to their brand and all the other things. They're just trying to get the bloody product out. But the ethical framework, and, and it, a lot of people talk about it, but I, I feel like ethical frameworks are at best something we talk about and at, at worst, probably we have no idea about. This is a sticky topic. <clears throat> so um, we are Silicon Valley is certainly paying attention to the news from the EU on the regulations put forth. And we've looked at it last month. The White House put forth an executive order with some parameters around what um, AI regulations could be. In both cases, these are all proposed. And with EU, it wouldn't take place for a number of quarters. <clears throat> now, to your point, many of the startups who I'm mostly focused on, they don't know if they'll survive till in two quarters. Exactly. They literally only have that much runway. So to task them, like, are you aligning to future regulations that are not yet um, a legal requirement? It, it No, it's not. However, the larger AI companies, such as OpenAI, Anthropic, um, whatever Microsoft, Google, and Amazon are doing, yeah, they have to pay close attention. In fact, they're helping to shape those things. So we obviously are looking for um, we're not going to be investing in a founder that has a, um, a criminal background or has been accused of misconduct in in a way that has been proven to be true. Um, so, but there's only so much we can evaluate on their ability to be ethical. By the way, there's one way we can find that out: Are they fudging the numbers when they're trying to pitch VCs, and mm -hmm. are they promising things to VCs? And when we check with our VC friends or their customers or their partners, and we find out it's not true, it's we can quickly find that out. Whether or not they're following AI ethics it would be a secondary. Yeah, I mean, of course, probably the fudging goes on in some sort of formula in your ethic in your Excel spreadsheet. Um, but the, the 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 going back, well, so for me, the ethical framework isn't uh, necessarily around regulation or legislation, but it's more about doing good or not doing evil per se. Oh, purpose. Okay, yeah. so that's so I when I hear the term ethics, and I think many people in Silicon Valley would agree, it could mean a lot of different things. Um, so in, in the way corporates sometimes use that in U.S. side, it's around. Are you following the laws and generally agreed upon social um, behaviors? It doesn't necessarily mean, are you trying to do good? Which I think is a different level up. And that doesn't come up as often. Um, but often we see many of the tech companies and AI foundational models talk about AI for humanity. Mm -hmm. AI for good, AI for humanity. Big topic for yeah. me, AI for humanity. I just wrote a 3,000-word mm -hmm. article on the topic of the humanization of AI. And um, I certainly wanted to ask you about where we are on that. Do you, do you think we can? Do you think we should be trying to humanize AI? Yes. So AI is 
trained already on human information and data. <clears throat> Even our tweet exchange this today, um, I put out a tweet asking people, would you want a digital avatar for you to last everlasting post-death? And you had a fun retort that said, only if I can be involved in the pre-training, which was very clever, um, because it means, yes, you're teaching it yourself. It's based on you. And of course, I think that's a requirement. So right now, OpenAI and Inflection and Anthropic, they're using data that was built by humans. But that won't always be the case, right? Because soon there'll be synthetic data that it's training off. And that's happening already. So, um, yes, it needs to be more human. Um, and I'm sure it's the case in your region, but loneliness, anxiety, and depression are at an all-time high that's ever been measured in the United States, the highest levels. It's never been higher. And loneliness is at a very high rate. Now, listen, I, I can hear what people are saying and groaning and rolling their eyes. Um, the best thing is to be with people. The best thing is to be with loved ones. But for many of them, they they can't they don't have those people around them, or they can't afford mental health professionals, or there's just not enough, or they're not available at 3 a.m. So AI is going to be a surrogate in that way. And it's already starting to happen. I mean, it happened with Wobot 10 years ago. Yeah. Then we saw character AI, then we saw replica, which had its issues. And now we see uh, other versions, which we can talk about from inflection to open AI and to Miri and others. And to Pi. Mm -hmm. Yes, which is which is part of inflection. Oh, I see. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present if you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Well, um, so let, let us dig into that a little bit more because it is an area of deep interest for me. And I, and I, and I certainly, with the eye-rolling comment, uh, believe that we ought also to be thinking about why we have such high levels of anxiety and depression and loneliness in society. I mean, to what extent tech is participating in that, it does seem to correlate with the more there's tech there, the less there is connection, the less we have Ooh. friend, deep friends. I mean, I'm not saying it's tech's fault, but I do see a correlation. And, and therefore I feel like we need to have a little bit more intention about going back into the mud, going back into our friends and hugging and, 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 uh, and knowing how to fight uh, without running away like astronauts in a capsule where you actually have to figure out how to get through hardship, where you actually have to uh, learn to, to, to know how to disagree with one another. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right that technology has created a divide. It's helped us to connect loosely. It's created a divide, um, but it's helped people to hear things and it has distortions too. So, Minter, with every technology and tool from fire to blades to obsidian to splitting the atom, it, it has and will be used for good and bad. And it's up to the humans who wield it. 
Um, of course, there's responsibility in those who create those technologies to help them guide them towards humanity. Um, but we know every technology and tool in the past has been used for both. Now, interestingly enough, um, so you're in London, I'm in San Francisco. Prior, I mentioned there's 100 in-person AI events. Some of them are at houses, mansions, event centers, restaurants, on the beach. And the interesting thing about um, San Francisco is it's a fist bump and hug culture. So you fist bump or you shake hands with people you don't really know or you don't see that often. But once you see them a few times, it's a full-on hug, embrace. And that's part of that 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 hippie culture, the Burning Man culture. I mean, the hippie movement, 69 San Francisco. It's like, this, yeah. This you, my, you see my iPhone cover? Yeah, it's the Grateful Dead. It's like that's correct. <laughs> like the amphitheater where they 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 play is just a, you know a few minutes from me. Uh, you know, I, yes. You, so you know the culture, that openness and that connectedness. So yeah, that's part of the culture. So why would thousands of AI builders? Why would they want to be in person? Why would they want to be at a beach together at a bonfire where there's no computers? Yeah, we had our phones. Why? Because the culture and the ethos is something unique. In in San Francisco, we we have the culture called AI first. Now, you probably are, are saying, oh, well, what about humanity first? Well, just hear this out. So the AI first culture in Silicon Valley is, is if you have a problem, then you try to get AI to do it first. And if AI can't fix that problem, then you build it. Then if you can't do that, you hire somebody to build it, and then you got a company. And the end goal, of course, is so we have more time to do the things that we love as humans. So that's kind of the subset of the culture that's not well said. I am quoted in the New Yorker on that exact quote that I just gave you. Uh, you know, New York likes to shit on San Francisco, so I, I hope they heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, poo, poo on you too, and and you your uh yeah yeah I mean obviously when I, when you talked about the number of meetings you're having in San Francisco, you and I we we speak for a living as well, and the the nature of conventions and conferences, it 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 in London anyway, it's very difficult to get bums in seats. People would just assume you know listen to it without having to do the one and a half hour commute with smelly, stressed people in the in the train. And then rushing through the rain to get to the place, they're like, "Well, I can just do it from my country home. That seems like a lot better than having to deal with all that." And and yet, you were talking about uh, your you do a lot of events yourself, your llama, yes. your llama event, and I don't remember the exact word you used, but something it was in the realm llama of lounge. crazy, the llama lounge, and, and uh, the bananas. Bananas. There you go. <laughs> Great. But yeah. And so these, these are geeks of the highest order who are co co coagulating around. And, <laughs> and coagulating. I, wanna, I wanted to get back to this idea, what is sure. you know, something that started, you started your career in at Hitachi in community. Wow. Good memory. And, and I want to link that into this idea of loneliness and detachedness. And I wonder, in Jeremiah's mind, to what extent community is less, equal, or more relevant than it was back in that day? More important, especially coming out of COVID, where people were completely severed, which helped to trigger a lot of depression, anxiety, and sadness, and loneliness. Some people are still struggling 
to come back to physical events per year. Just comment on those who left the city to probably buy their country home. And that happened here as well. So, yes, people still want to be connected to each other. Some people still are um, unsure whether they're extroverts or introverts. They're, there's a reevaluation happening now. And these physical events that the tech community is doing is part of that. AI and social media are, are part of that, um, both positive and negative. So I want to lean back into this idea of community and uh, the zero inbox, maybe link it into dating. Not that I am dating, I'm happily married. My daughter has spent some time on her thesis about on dating apps. And there are certain apps that, going back to your idea of AI first, that will help find a date, engage with a date, have the first three or four filters, and then you can say, all right, now we're ready to meet. I, I feel like that is a, a disassociation because in the end of the day, even small talk is part of how we connect. And, and so when you are evaluating AI, to what extent do you have a personal thinking about these things? I mean, in other words, if you say that is not something that I would do, how can, do you detach yourself from that or do you bring that element of you into the decision-making? Um, it's you have to be careful about bringing your view only because as an investor or prior, my role was an industry analyst. You need to encompass all the views. Mm -hmm. That's really important. That's very important. Otherwise, you're going to end up making really poor choices and analysis and decisions and investments. All right. Well, so if you go back to this idea, I get that, of course, that um, this might not be good for humanity. Okay, that's different. Well, but that's where I'm getting with that, is that if you okay. have an app, which really is scalable, really is obviously needed because people are, are lonely, people have struggled, are struggling to date, well, let's just allow all that to be easy and, 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 and make that the way we solve and for that on the side, make a lot of money. Yeah, so the one that comes to mind right now, and I'm getting bombarded with ads on this in Instagram, is <laughs> AI, AI Girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And... That's troubling to me, but I can see why so many disenfranchised, dislocated, mentally, emotionally, sexually immature men are purchasing those apps. I didn't say boys, I said men. Yeah. Um, it is a outcome of society. Um, but as what they will do is they're starting to form emotional relationships with AI girlfriends and you can choose your girlfriend the way they look and they could be caring to sensuals who sexual and like I see the ads it's all over Instagram and TikTok and it's hard to tell by the way now what's human and what's not it's really hard to tell it's it's really challenging to tell now so um there's definitely downsides to that but at the same time is it scratching an itch that these or gentlemen are and women too i'm sorry let's let's go on both sides that they are truly lonely and there's a void that needs to be filled um this is something that's going to happen i agree i mean a replica was an example another example of yes. that way you can have you know a far more sexual relationship with it you can, if you choose to and i mean they, they tried to turn it off but there was so much demand for it i mean again it does point back to the issue of society itself yes 
notwithstanding the option or the, the let's say the opportunity that these provide much like in therapy. And I've been looking at Hume.ai, uh, empathic.ai, and, and there are numerous therapeutic AI ventures that aren't there mm-hmm. yet. But going back to this humanity story, I do want to have a little bit more from you on to what extent sure. do you think things like empathy, creativity, uh, intuition, and I'm not going to say consciousness or emotion because they aren't embodied, but for the others. They emulate it. They simulate it. Okay. So let's broaden beyond uh, interpersonal relationships. So let's talk about friendship therapy and coaching, because that's a use case that I see, and we're going to be investing in that category for sure. Um, So we already see the LLMs, they can act in that way. You can ask it to act in the way of a therapist, give an answer, but it's not a a GPT doesn't have a dialogue. Um, Another one, which is Reed Hoffman's company, and we're tied to Reed Hoffman, is called Inflection, and they make pie. And you had a chance to try out pie, I believe. I did. Yeah. Uh, Be curious to hear your thoughts. So pie stands for personal intelligence and PI. And it has a dialogue. You can leave the microphone on and it'll have a full-on dialogue, like you're on a phone call with another human being. There's six different voices to choose from. I found voice number four to be very realistic, a West Coast woman. Number five and six have pseudo, you know, British Queen's English tones to them. Be curious on your take on that. And you could have a dialogue and it will say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Have you thought about this? And it'll it'll provide... um, a replica of what empathy is like and have this dialogue and help you walk through and talk through things. Eventually it'll connect to your systems in your house. It can be your personal assistant, help with your scheduling, your shopping. So it'll be more than a coach or a therapist or a friend. It can be many different things, uh, but these types of use cases are already here. So I'd love to hear your, your take on how did it go trying pie, which is less than a year old. Well, indeed, I, I, um, so I, I haven't, I haven't explored it to its nth degree, but I did ask it to, uh, in, I, cause I looked at the productivity side cause it has different functionalities, right? Am I getting it right? Or is that perplexity? I can't remember. Perplexity is a search tool. Oh yeah. So this was, yeah, it was with Pi. That's right. I, 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 you know, I, I, like you, I try to, I try out stuff and I try to figure out what, uh, what I like about it. I asked it to make for me engaging tweets. Uh, around an article and I just gave it the link to the tweet. So it clearly read the article and then produced yep. to me for me tweets. And so I, I admonished myself in, in not making a better prompt, uh, which is also such a, an important part of these things as you start learning the model. But I had an um, agreeable experience and I, with a little bit of fine tuning, because I think it's always, well, generally still better AI plus human. Uh, in terms of uh, effectiveness. So I adapted a few of the tweets and I buffered them all out. So um, here's to pi, pi.com. Yes. Did you try the voice features and have a full-on dialogue with it? Not yet, but I, I shall oh, yeah. now. Yes. Yeah, so I, I want to demo it, but I'm not able to because I'm having those audio issues. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. Is there something it, you, maybe you can send me a little, uh, something I can show a, or put in the show notes. I think you should try it and record right. it yourself. There you go. I'll do that. I will do that. You have, you have now sent me a challenge, sir. <laughs> challenge accepted. Um, it's possible I could um, show an example, but I'd have to leave the first Zoom account. Is that possible without? Yeah, sure. Try. Okay. So I'll stay on this second mic. So you can still hear me, right? Yep, absolutely. 
All right. I can't code in Python directly. All right, here we go. Hey, Pi, my dog died and I'm feeling sad. What should I do? So I'm I'm writing that in. I could, of course, use voice if I wanted to. I could use... Um, I'm really sorry to hear about your dog's passing. Losing a beloved pet can be incredibly difficult and painful. It's completely normal to feel sad, and there's no one right way to cope with grief. Here are a few things that might help. Give yourself time and space to grieve. It's okay to feel however you feel, and you don't need to rush through the process. Cap, I'm going to put it on pause. But you were able to hear that, right? And the sound of the the, the quality of the voice, the intonations, the inflections mm -hmm. were absolutely stunning. That's right. So if you haven't tried Pi and you're focusing on AI and empathy, you're missing it. Like this is the one that is going much deeper. You can ask it about death, divorce, love, marriage, getting along with friends, colleagues. Like it is simulating empathy. No other AI is doing anything like this. This is something else. Well, I love that you're telling me about that. As you know, this is a deep topic for me. Can you, without spilling the beans, let us know how it's becoming more empathic? Is it really a question of the data set or the tagging, mm -hmm. processing power? What, what's going on to make that empathy more powerful? Well, there's some London ties here. So the, there's two co-founders. One co-founder is Mustafa Suleiman who is from right. London, uh, who spent with Google DeepMind, which is of from course. London. Mm -hmm. And he left Google to start this. And he had his co-founder, Reid Hoffman. Yes, that Reid, LinkedIn, PayPal, Microsoft, Board of Directors, OpenAI. Now, who stepped back from Greylock and stepped back from OpenAI, he's the co-founder of Inflection. And Mustafa and Reid Hoffman is an incredibly powerful duo. And they are creating this amazing technology. It's a foundational model in LLM. So they're training it. Obviously, Mustafa knows how to train things. They built DeepMind. Uh, they mm -hmm. built AlphaGo, right? That beat humans at Go, which was right. unbeatable, right? Mm -hmm. So this team can do anything. And um, it, they hired, I believe, 50 um, ethicists uh, to help train and to guide and advise from psychologists to therapists to athletes to um, people who focus on regulation. Um, Reed is counseling government leaders and religious leaders. He already has connections to those that are making the laws, so they already understand uh, these things. And if you read um, Reed, Reed's book, which is called Impromptu, he talks about how AI can help humanity and goes through multiple use cases. Also, Mustafa published a book too. I think it's called The Coming Wave, which talks about how AI is going to change the world and also calls for regulation, requesting regulation in the book. Um, this is, in my opinion, these guys are on the right side of history that are trying to tie this towards to be aligning to help humanity. So I'm very excited. There will be an API yeah, for those that are not technical. It means that you can connect other apps into Pi in the future. So if it's your home automation or your email or your podcasting tool, you need somebody to talk to you during a podcast and you have no guests, someday it will be it. It will be Pi. Maybe I should just do that for the hell of it. Um, so Jeremiah, um, we, we're talking a lot about tech per se, but a lot of companies aren't in tech. Let's say, you know, not you know, a manufacturer of face creams, a, uh, a, a manufacturer of ladders, um, an oil and gas company. 
is is there any industry that uh, shouldn't be saying at this point, oh shoot, I need to be having a chief AI officer on my board, or or, or do you even recommend that as an approach for most companies? I can't think of an industry where AI is not impacting it. I, I cannot. Well, I've already met startups that trained LLMs on the Bible and the Quran already. Just think about that, by, by the way. One religious deity talking to another AI avatars. like That's starting to happen. That's kind of a wild thing. Um, I can't think, even like the forestry services, they need internet of things and sensors to track the health of forests and to prevent disease or wildfires. Or, and when, you know, as climate becomes more extreme, like AI can help them with those things. I can I cannot think of an industry that doesn't have it. Spirituality already has AI projects. Um, even the Vatican leans into tech usually about a year or two later, but it's they do over time. They're quite progressive. I, I can't think of anything that is not using or being impacted by AI. Whether or not they have a chief AI officer, I think varies whether or not they're going to lead it and it's part of their product and their business. Um, I don't think it's necessary for every company to have a chief AI officer. And I would have said the same thing about the chief metaverse officer before that. Yeah, I, I have right beside me uh, the Church Times from September 2023, and there was a webinar called AI and the Church, a Church Times webinar uh, with Beth Singler and, and talks very much about this thing. And ultimately, what that brings to my mind is the very existential nature of AI and and how I'm, I'm guessing you also have the same thing still where you talk to an audience and someone's going to raise their hand and says, do you, are you scared of the potential of AI or, you know, should we be all worried and, and be, uh, you know, becoming AI coders. Um, but there is something very existential about it. Um, and yeah, this question is. of our consciousness, our death, you, your, your mm -hmm. question about the avatar uh, suggesting it can live on after you die. Yes. The, the, the issue for me Jeremiah, and, and something that I push into is I think that it's very easy with tech to, to be dissociated from reality. For example, the fact that we die. And there are there's a school of thought that says, oh, well, aging is just a disease. Let's get rid of it. And let's defy death. And I feel like that's part of the problem we have today in society, which is we're evacuating reality for some sort of artificial life that ultimately isn't fulfilling because life is about dealing with reality, the shit, the, the slog through the mud in your obstacle course and the loss of somebody. This is what life's actually about. And there's, there shouldn't be an effort to hide from it or to revel in the artificiality of it. I generally agree with you. Um, I think it's healthy to think about death frequently. Um, I went through a lot of studying on the Stoic philosophies when I was having my own mental trials and emotional trials, and now that brought me to that point, and I'm always okay with it. So I think that's that's part of that, and it reminds us to do our best in the very short period of time that we have. Mm -hmm. Now, going back to the profound thought that AI has and the existential um, opportunity, if not threat, for humankind, I think mm -hmm. we should be very, very clear that we are building a new species. 
That's essentially what it is. And that has amazing upsides and potential risks. It can see with GPT-4 vision. It can hear with um, Whisper, which is an API plugin. It can think with the LLM API plugin. It can speak because of the LLM. It can simulate emotion as we just gave a demo. It can simulate um, Marcus Aurelius if you prefer to do so. Uh, so all of these things are now, it's like a um, a subspecies of the humankind. I think that's really what's happening. Yeah, there was a um, a podcast, and I, and right, I have a little bit of a mind fart uh, of remembering who actually said it, but they talk about the synthetic relationships that we have, where we are already developing that with our phone. We've always been doing that with machines in the past, but we now have these opportunities for synthetic relationships with AI bots. And so, and I, I live five days, Jeremiah, with a, uh, an empathic bot 24-7. And I can tell you it was a profound experience. And I don't think it was artificial. But let me, in the last question I have for you, Jeremiah, I think I would love sure. for you to, to riff on this notion of transparency. So just the context of it is that if you have an AI, it does seem like a black box a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a regular request for more transparency, more transparency of how a company is, more transparency about the secret sauce in, in what they're doing, uh, and, and then transparency in AI. How, how do you approach transparency and to what extent do you promote it with the companies, for example, you're investing in? Okay, so there's a there's a conflict here. Um, so I read the EU regulations requesting model transparency. It's unclear if those the actual requests will be in private with the IP or it will be a public document. And unfortunately, many tech companies cannot comply with that because it is their secret sauce. It is their IP. And there's certain things that they will not be able to be transparent with how the algorithm works. And there's, there's actually very important reasons for society that you do not want that algorithm to be public. For example, if Facebook made it public on how their algorithm for their newsfeed or Google Newsreader was public, or if Twitter was public about exactly how it works, and or AI, then it can be gamed by nefarious parties. So, um, and secondly, it's going to be changing all the time. Uh, it should be adapting and learning and, and modeling. So there, it is a conflict to request transparency of the tech algorithms, whether it be AI from a new or to a newsfeed. And I think that's a, a real issue that we're all going to have to contend with. I don't know what the right answer for that is, but I do believe that Silicon Valley will generally resist that. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. And I, I fundamentally believe, Jeremiah, that there's always an agenda behind a request for transparency. And that agenda is not necessarily good for business. It may not even be necessarily good for society. That's right. And there's been numerous German and now French LLMs that have emerged in the last few quarters, which could be competitive to the Silicon Valley LLMs so that there would be questions on where is that information and secret sauce going to go. Indeed. And when you look at a, uh, a company in, uh, in this notion of investing uh, in your venture capitalism, yes. what about the intention of the company? Is that 
something that's relevant? I mean, I, I, we talked a little bit about purpose before, but just the intention of the company, does that, is that a, a space that you investigate? What are you trying to do in a, in a more, in a grander scheme, or is that something that's just, it's about making more money or making success? This is a longer conversation. So the larger tech companies, in particular, the foundational models are talking, and I mentioned this prior, talking a lot about helping AI to improve humanity. And Mm -hmm. in the end, if you do not align your business to helping humanity, you will be in a big problem. For example, Facebook lost their way. Mm -hmm. They were about serving their the people who were generating ads more and same with Google, mm-hmm. the, Google ads is over 50% of uh, 50% of their revenues and not necessarily serving the end users. And this is why people are moving away from, from both of these companies in some regards. And so if you're not aligned with humanity, then your business will not sustain and therefore you cannot keep going. So that is a second or third or tertiary thought in the things, but the primary objective for companies is to sustain through ongoing growth and or revenue. That is the primary goal. That is the structure of the the way that the game and society has been set up right now. Now, obviously, there are rules on what, for example, VCs, we have been told not to invest in companies or help from a certain country or countries. There's there's Mm -hmm. limits. Then those countries are not aligned with the Western goals and values. Um, And so that is a clear law and regulation. So to answer your question, very, very point blank, um, the goal is on business growth within the laws, and they do need to align to humanity. Otherwise, they just won't sustain. And that's for the pragmatic reason that they won't actually continue to exist. That's right. And therefore, they could not complete their mission then. Fabulous. Jeremiah, I expected nothing less than a highly stimulating conversation with you. Thank you. Uh, wonderfully fun to have this. It's so, it, it's, it's, it's extremely exciting for me. And I have these little goosebumps going up, but to be able to talk to somebody who's so within this, this part of the industry. And I think that uh, you are a beacon for us all. You certainly have helped me. I've got lots of fun things to add to the show notes, uh, but how can people follow you, follow your writings, Jeremiah? What's the best way to get in touch or at least, you know, see what you're up to and, and follow your words? Oh, thanks, Minter. So um, I'm on social and my handle is J and my last name. So J-O-W-Y-A-N-G, which is J Yang. And that's very easy to find or just Google Jeremiah and you'll find me on socials, a newsletter, a blog. It's all out there. Thank <laughs> you for having me, Minter. Been my great pleasure. Stay in touch, Jeremiah. Let's hopefully get one of those chances to at your llama lounge or somewhere else hug in the old fashioned way. I would look forward to seeing you. Thank you for your time. So a really heartfelt thanks for listening to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show, please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast service. As ever, ratings and reviews are the real currency of podcasts. And if you're really inspired, I'm accepting donations on patreon.com forward slash Minterdial. You'll find the show notes with over 2,100 blog posts on Minterdial.com on topics ranging from leadership to branding, tech and marketing tips. Check out my documentary film and books, including the last one, the second edition, of Artificial Empathy, Putting Heart into Business and Artificial Intelligence that came out in April 2023. And to finish, 
Here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzoir, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.